0: Bye. talk about threat today, everybody, but Jim, you were starting to talk, and, and I thought that this picture behind me was modifious, but you were saying something totally different.
1: Nope, not at all. No, I mean, there's there's tons of companies out there that make uh, acry- acrylic tokens for all kinds of games. Uh, back in the day when I was, when I played the Fantasy Flight Games uh, card game, Android Netrunner, uh, I don't remember the name of the company, but there was a company in the Midwest, I think, that made, that, that, like their whole specialty was making custom tokens for board games and card games and stuff. And so you spend, you know, 30, 40 bucks on the game, which came with like really nice cardboard chits and tokens, but they're never good enough for the discerning gamer, right? So you go buy the, the premium quality uh, acrylic stuff for, you know, 20 bucks a pot or, you know, 20 bucks for a set, like a set of 10 Fred tokens would probably be, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks or something, whatever the market can afford. And, uh, and you, so you level up your game by getting the cool swag that is all third party stuff, right? And yeah. it's legal because like those are those are perfectly legal because there's no Star Trek uh, stuff on them at all. There's no copyright right. infringement. Uh, it's just it just looks it thematically similar to Star Trek because it looks like they they vaguely have a little bit of a Elcar's look and feel on the yeah. thread tokens and I guess those are determination in the, the ovals there and uh, they kind of sort of harken to the UFP flag but they're not really. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean they, they, they're probably clearly I recognize them as. Uh, STA tokens right off the bat. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you have the if you have the machinery and <laughs> the time, you know, go ahead and create a cottage industry and uh, support your local fr- friendly games and, uh, and and see what you can do.
0: Well, well, we know at Star Trek Adventures and and I know continuing conversations, we are all about the creativity of the fans, which is really getting the game even more and more popular just to get started today because we have amazing guests with us and we have an amazing topic today, which was my favorite concept mechanics of the game. I'm Michael Desmeek. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures uh, RPG. In fact, today, I know this isn't going to air for another month, but I had uh, a module, my very first module come out called Eight Layers Deep. Go check it out at uh, modifius.com. This is my very first module. I had PDF mission briefs before, but this is my first module, which makes me super happy. Um, And so, uh, Jim, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, this is my first one, man. I've had mission briefs. I've done Game Master's Guide, Player's Guide, uh, Utopia Planitia, but I've never done a full standalone module.
1: Oh, all right. Well, hey, well, congratulations then. I'm not going to take anything away from it. I just I'm mystified because I thought for sure you'd at least done done a mission already. I know you did a couple of mission brief packs, but uh, no, I had
0: been begging and scraping at your door and crying tears and pleading. And then finally I broke you
1: down. Clearly not hard enough, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hi everybody, I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the uh, project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modiphius Entertainment, Low These Many Years. Co-host on this year's show with uh, Michael, Load These uh, 60-something plus episodes now. Going well into year two now, having fun. And uh, we got two great guests with us tonight, so without more ado, I'll have them introduce themselves.
2: Uh, let's start with uh, Al. Classwise. How's it going, Al Spader? Uh, I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures, uh, and we're here to uh, talk about some fun uses for Threat tonight. That's all right, Jeff. Well, hi, my
3: name is Jeff Harvey. I am also known as Studio Tembo. You can find me all the places there. Uh, I am a writer, podcaster, uh, store owner. I do all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, if it's a thing, I do it. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much me.
0: Including uh, producing and editing this show, which is a true. gift to us yeah. so we appreciate that
1: absolutely and grateful you're with us jeff tonight i know that there's a storm in your way and uh you might possibly be on generator power right now but i'm uh, on generator
3: power right now that's how dedicated i, I, I am to
1: glad, glad you can make it thanks
0: for being here so despite a lot of threatening situations, you've managed to muddle through to get to this show.
3: had a little bit of determination and a whole lot of momentum, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that works. All right, for those of you who don't know, um, in case this is your first uh, show tuning in about anything Star Trek Adventures, threat is a mechanic in the game wherein, based on dice rolls and or characters trying to push the limit in the game, the Game Master accrues threat. Threat can then be used... In In order to manipulate the story in the game master's favor, which usually means, of course, making things harder for your heroes to make it through. It is my favorite mechanic of the game um, and we'll be talking about it tonight. For those of you who already know how to play the game, we're hoping that you actually see some new tips and tricks in order to get more out of threat and really use it to pull the creativity out of your players, including those who are maybe hesitant to give you threat. Uh, I got to ask Jeff, Al, Jim, have you met people who are threat averse characters who are threat averse and how does that affect the game? I think a lot of players are threat averse, especially at first, the getting into any new meta
3: currency is kind of difficult for most gamers. Um, especially when you start, if you, if players are going into a potentially adversarial con- uh, nature to the game, they're going to think of giving the GM any kind of benefit is going to, it's going to hurt them. Um, but I think once you start spending threat and they start spending their their momentum and you start getting those meta currencies rolling, it really loosens everybody up and they start seeing that it's really not that bad and just the tension can add more fun. Um, but it does require a certain level of trust in your game master to, be able to get to that point.
0: Yes. Yeah, so.
2: yeah, I, yeah I, I would agree with that. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, people coming from other games might be uh, a, a me versus the GM perspective. Um, and I think that in Star Trek Adventures, we, we really try to do that co-storytelling. Um, and uh, and I, I think uh, Jeff nailed it when he said trust. Right. Once you build that trust with your group, um, th- they're going to trust that you're using your threat to make an episode exciting and to build to this climax. And um. And I think eventually they will start buying into giving a little bit of threat every here and there.
0: I think so. Jim, I I know we wish we had Nathan Dowdell here, but it's 3 a.m. UK time when we're recording this. So I'd love to ask about what his mind was thinking when he created the mechanic. But maybe you can give us some insight into that, plus your take on threat.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I don't know that I can give insight into what he was thinking when he did it, because I think the, 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 the mechanic was already there. In the 2D20 system with you know the earlier versions of the game with uh, you know Conan and uh Infinity and I think there might have been one other one, I don't remember. Um, but the concept was there, right? You know, you got you got points you can spend to, to make things more dramatic. Um, and then the players have certain amounts of points to you know counteract that or to benefit themselves and help the scene out. Um, I, I really like the threat mechanic. I, I think um now just listening to you guys, I'm like, oh gosh, maybe threats the wrong word for it, right? Maybe just calling it the threat. Creates that immediate adversarial like like tension, right? Where players where, pe- where players are like, oh, I don't want to give the GM threat points. That's scary. But if you call it like you know drama points or uh, um, you know something that's more thematically fitting, maybe Star Trek. But maybe uh, like just the fact that Star Trek Adventures really is a a role playing game based on a TV show, based on a setting, right? So I mean, you're playing a TV show on the, at the table. You know, we got the scene economy, right? And so I almost wonder if maybe just changing the terminology of threat to something else. You know, no, I'm gonna push.
0: Go. I'm gonna push back because I can't tell you. No, I'm gonna push back because I can't tell you how advantageous and pleasurable it is watching them squirm as threat builds up. It is the natural tension of a TV show and movie, in my opinion.
1: Just the yeah,
0: foreboding.
1: I think that's just a difference of opinion, though, because I think I've, I've read enough stuff online from players mm-hmm. to the game that are terrified of giving the game master any points of threat because they're convinced. And this is harkening to what we were talking about. Uh, earlier, they're they're terrified that the the game master is going to screw them, right? And and do the big aha moment. You know, you bust open the door and like, oh, there's you know ten creatures or whatever. And and I hear this comment from game masters all the time who are like, why do I need threat? I just have GM fiat. I can do what I want. I can screw the players over if I want to or not want to. And It's like, well, that's not really what threats for. It's it's to keep things on a on a, on a certain balance so that you're not screwing the players over and that the players have some agency and the players can have that confidence going into the game that the that the game master's not just gonna put the screws to them, right? And it, I mean, it fascinates me when when game masters, I know you've done it, Michael, when game mm-hmm. masters talk about having 40, 50, 60 points of thread in their pool, I'm like, why aren't you spending it? Why, the, fish <laughs> the fish gets bigger.
0: The fish gets bigger. I
1: know, but like, I, I just, there are certain game masters out there that I read the, i read their stuff on social media. And I'm like, I'm never, I'm never gonna tell someone that they're playing the game wrong, but but you can play the game in a way that the game, the, the designers didn't really, you know, build for, or, or, or intend, <laughs> like yeah. using seven or eight difficulty level tasks and challenges. That's like, that's really pushing the, the edge of the, of the intention of the game, but that's, that's, a,
0: no, let's, let's actually talk about that. Cause we need to talk about that. I think this, this, yeah. this game, I think this is the one let's, let's, face the, the the controversy and give people some tips they can use, including Game Masters on how to use it best. I'm actually going to pass it over. Um, I know Jeff runs a game consistently, uh, Star Trek Endeavor and uh, uh, Europa. So many out there. Europa, sorry. Star Trek Europa. And I know Al runs a game, but he also plays in my game. So I'm actually going to let Al go first because um, not to pat myself on the back, but we talk about threat a lot in our game and we use it in very creative ways. So I just kind of want to get your take out first on how does the game master do it so that threat doesn't become like what Jim described where people are using it as a, as a free for all to get their way. I hate game masters who want to get their way and use threat for that way. So maybe you can talk about your experience and what you've seen work and not work.
2: So, yeah, so, um, with threat, uh, I think, uh, like we were talking about earlier about building that le- level of trust, and this is kind of built into the game uh, so that uh, the players see that you aren't just dropping stuff in their laps willy-nilly, right? This is part of the game mechanics and things that uh, you can do. And, um as a player, uh, I always just give to threat all the time because I think it makes for a more interesting story later on. Uh, if we're talking about like the, the three act, um, episodes, um, then you want to reach a climax at some point, right? Um, usually that comes at the end of act two, uh, beginning of act three. Uh, and I think that once that, uh, threat has been uh, built up or used appropriately, it really makes for an exciting finish to an episode. Um, so I've seen uh threat used. Uh, my favorite way to see it used is on like scene traits um, because scene traits are interesting because they kind of linger around for um, an entire scene uh, and can make, certain tasks more challenging based off of what you're trying to do. So it really pushes you as a player to think outside the box to figure out, okay, can I get around this by trying something different? Um and, and so on and so forth. Uh so I think that um you know as a GM, I like to use threat to do those type of things, like give them options. Um, yes, this way might be more challenging if you want to try it. Uh, but, uh, if you can think your way around this or come up with another, uh, uh, direction or path to take, um, you know, that just like makes you feel so much more fulfilled when you figure that out.
0: Okay. Okay. So you're using threat to build scene traits, to make things, uh, make them go in non-standard solutions. I like that. How about you, uh, Jeff?
3: Um, I struggled with threat for a long time. I came from a system that had a similar mechanic. The Fantasy Flight Star Wars had a similar trait that was uh, the force could flip it back and forth. You, if you used a force point, a dark side point or whatever, it would give the GM a, a, an advantage. And if the players did it, it would give the players an advantage. And I, when I moved into Star Trek, um, it was we were still trying to figure out how to use the, that kind of metacurrency. And we, we kind of viewed that through that lens. Um, but as we've played more... Um, I've come to the realization that, uh, I'm a GM who tends to just, um, here's the difficulty, here's what's going on in the scene. Um, and I don't need threat to do the additional stuff, but I use threat to kind of, um, turn the, t- like drop in, uh, twists and turns and, or like that Klingon, uh, you're fighting him and he pulls out his mechleth and it's, uh, slightly better than normal mechleth. So I can do whatever I can, I can make the scene slightly, slightly more frightening um, or slightly more dangerous to the characters um, i use it a lot in starship combat um, but i don't necessarily use it the way i think the, it was originally intended and some of that comes from the fact that my players struggled for a long time to to generate threat um we've really moved past that in the second season of europa uh the character who plays my captain or the, the player who plays the captain uh, his name is jack he's really keen on giving threat in almost every scene because he, he wants the, to, to make the, cha- the scenes more challenging. So he's buying momentum by providing threat. And then I'm counter using that threat to either bring in more enemies or, uh, add complications into the scene, much like what Al was talking about, but I usually don't do them for whole scenes. I do it more for like this action, this council is going to explode and cause more damage or something along those lines. So, um, honestly, we still struggle a little bit to use threat, I think the way it's intended to be used, but the way we use it, I think really fits our
0: narrative very well. Yeah. I think that's where we land too. I'll use it to create gated challenges, linear challenges, extended tasks. Um, I use or reversals. Would, that's one of my favorite mechanics: is uh, dun 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 scene ending based off of a reversal. And then I ask the characters, "Okay, how did you get out of that situation? What was the outcome? Was anyone unconscious? You know, um, again using it narratively, not to punish the players. Um, Pile on the complications so that my creative players also don't take the easy route. Maybe I have to mess up transporters maybe i have to make it so shuttles won't function okay now figure it out just so that i get out of the boring you know redundant solutions to everything is where i use threat
3: i think my primary use for it is actually raising the complication range um because i find complications to be much more narratively compelling for the way we tell stories and i find that to be the only way to to you to create that increased um complication range without making it seem like I'm just doing it to punish players or to make it too complicated for everybody. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't want to be arbitrary. I mean, my last thing to say to that and then Jim, you go on. But for instance, we recently had an energy band hit somebody. And then I was like, Well, how much damage is it going to do? I don't want to be arbitrary. So I said, you know, I'm spending five threat to say it's a five CD role. And I'll use it in that way. So that they say, Okay, He's using the threat appropriately. There's a lot of threat there. It makes sense, but they're seeing me use it to to infuse the game mechanics.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I like you, Michael. I like to use uh, I like to use threat for reversals. I think reversals is a really fun mechanic, and uh, I think um, like especially at the beginning of episodes when I want to throw a twist at the players early on, and, and like that you know pre pre music teaser kind of uh, hook kind of thing. I'll just I'll just hoard my threat. And hang on to it cuz like you, you start with a certain amount of threat at the beginning of an episode right and then and then spending it right away on a reversal gets the players kind of like wait what wait wait what what's going on here <laughs> you're spending threat already um uh, but then i also like to use threat as really as a storytelling aid uh to because uh, like i tend to i tend to run uh episodes like i prep episodes really really light like i mean mission briefs is, is pretty much how i do it right high level overview rough plot points guideposts and then I just go with it with the players and see where they take me and see where they take the story and and having threat on hand allows me to kind of like adapt what I'm doing adapt the narrative to what they're doing so that I'm I'm really enabling them because like I mean they're going to tell you what the story is that they want to tell just by the actions that they're taking and the directions that they're going and I can use I can spend threat strategically to either throw some adversaries in their way or to change the complication range or to add some new complication, you know, add some texture to the storytelling. And uh, and then it feels like a surprise, <laughs> right? But uh, because I'm listening to them and I'm trying to stay half a step ahead of them, like planning out where things are going, uh, I think I think that I just love the fact that Threat enables that uh, and keeps me honest, right? It's not me with GM Fiat doing, oh, I'm just going to make a shit and, uh, and the players will just have to deal with it. Um, it's actually keeping me honest and the players know that, and that really, really builds the trust between the player and the, and the game master, because they know they're in for a cool ride and, and, and we're collaboratively telling a cool Star Trek story. Right. But they're not, there's not going to be some gotcha. There's not going to be a, you know, you open the door and all of a sudden there's a, you know, 80 foot dragon burning you down. And TPK, and you're done. you know total total party kill and the game's over or anything, right? So they trust me. I trust them. And part of that's just built into the game mechanics, and uh, I just I really appreciate that piece of
2: it. One thing that I try to do when I'm using threat is to I don't want to uh, immediately negate something that uh, the players just accomplished. Yeah. I try to spend my threat beforehand. I'm thinking on like an extended uh, task, for example. Um, I've seen uh, GMs uh, spend threat to like add additional work to the work track after someone just succeeded in removing five work. And I'm like, uh, they, they just had a success. Let them, let them have that success. Don't just take it away from them. Like if you want more, add more before they roll, you know what I mean? Or, um, if you want to increase the resistance of your extended task, do that before they roll their dice, not after they've already gotten their success. Uh, even though, in theory, the the rules say that you can do it at any time. Uh, just give the players a chance to feel that success, um, and and don't just take it right away from them immediately. Like that, I think is one way that you can uh, kind of uh, make that trust kind of like separate a little bit, and then players will be more worried to give you threat in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let, and, let your let your let your players be heroes. Let your player characters be heroes. And uh, and and you know if you're if your entire story. Hinges on an extended task succeeding or failing, then you you probably want might, might want to consider rethinking your story a little bit to to like because like you know sometimes players will blaze through an a through an extended task and have a really lucky set of dice rolls or something, and that extended task will be like much easier than you had intended it to be, and just arbitrarily making it more difficult is just I I feel like it's a cheat <laughs> really honest honestly you know, you know put your put your novel aside for now and and let the players help you build something even cooler than you could have imagined, right?
3: One of the things I find a lot of players do is they tend to refuse to do tasks or or try to avoid doing any tasks that they're not optimized for. Um, and one of the things you can do with Redis right, is try to take away some of that optimization. You can either uh, change the circumstances so they have to roll a, a stat that maybe they wouldn't be otherwise uh, their primary or just raising the difficulty uh, beforehand so they know what's gonna be tougher uh i know a lot of players uh in most games not just star trek but tend to not want to do anything that their character isn't exactly perfect at like i don't have a 5 in this stat i you know the other guy should do this um and i think that when you have a chance to have these failures when there's any tension uh, i think that's what creates a, a more interesting story and threat can be a good way to to make sure that players don't get caught in that mentality of if i don't have a 5 in this i'm or they're gonna try it, but you can change it on like you can change it up so that you're no longer getting the stat that had a five. You're using one that's got a three or a two or whatever in it and makes it a little bit more
0: challenging and more interesting for the players, I think. Um <laughs> Yeah, going back to Jim's point too, I could see, and I could actually see it because like, for instance, in just our most recent game, I didn't need to spin threat in the final scenes. For some reason, they were rolling complications galore. I mean, everyone, they were failing rolls. They were rolling complications galore. So the threat was piling up. And so what, because I want to cheer on the players. We had just finished a huge extended task. They were so happy. They were escaping, but they were getting injured along the way and they just couldn't make it out. So what I ended up doing is I used three, three sets of reversals. Yeah, I had that much threat because they messed up so much. And I said, well, what I'm going to do is just do a scary closing scene of everything collapsing and around them and going dark. And then, you know what? I handed it to the players and they said they saw I spent 18 threat to do that. I said, "Okay, now, how did you get out of this situation? You're going to be injured. There's definitely a lot of complications, but give it to me. And they wrote a really cool transporter scene, getting back rescue, how the ship found them. and, And it just made a really good end. So to your point, Jim, is. I wasn't using it against them. I was, in a sense, almost using it for them to get them out of a bad spot they couldn't get out of with dice rolls.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's the great thing about television, right? I mean, you, you you get the characters into a horrible situation, you fade to black, and then you come back to it, and it's it's a whole new scene, and you got you get to explain what happened. They they did that tons of times on uh, on on Star Trek, right? Where like you know something horrible happens in the in the teaser, and then you cut, you get the you get the theme music, you get the crawl, and then you, in Act One, everything's different. Like, whoa, what happened? Why are the characters all like uh, one of the time travel episodes, right? Where uh, there's that that time loop and uh, everything went, you know, everything reset, right? Everything reset. And you're like, wait, what's going on here? And it's like, that's a great way to use a reversal is like, oh, they're in a bad situation. They're having a a crappy day rolling dice, right? Give them a reversal, change the direction of everything and and, uh, and, and go from there. So I I think um, um, I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like I I know what you're probably going to say collectively, but uh, I find that spending momentum and threat really, really increases the creativity of everybody at the table because like i really try to encourage my players if you're going to spend momentum or or i'm going to spend threat i want you to come up with something narratively that's explaining why you're doing that don't just say i'm going to spend you know two momentum to buy another dice like what's the what's happening with your character that makes them more effective or more potentially effective or whatever so i'm I'm just curious where where have you found that you know spending you know these mechanics have you know improved or or not your group's creativity.
0: I can speak, I'll just speak real quickly. I know that if they create an advantage there, I make them explain narratively, what what they're doing and what you, what did they use around them to to do this um, and, and that makes it so that this just not uh, this blank advantage that counters my complications they actually have to wrap into the story and then that gives me an element to attack meaning I can spin threat to break it later whatever they came up with um, I now narratively have the responsibility to say why it why it broke and the reason why that's important is because if they create an advantage and they or I I create a complication or a trait and they can't neither of us can narratively explain why that's gone. It's just there and they have to work around it. Um, You know, it's not just a constant battle of destroying each other's advantages and complications. It's about talking about the story and creating the picture. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's an easy um, pit to fall into, especially if you are doing traits with your momentum and your threat is to just the, the going back and forth of, I create, you destroy, I create, you destroy. Like, uh, I think that the, the, uh, when you are doing this properly, the narrative is the one that's dictating, you know, what the complications are or what the traits are. Um, and, and I think that the players have to get creative, uh, like if you use threat to say the transporters are down or, you know, um, all of a sudden your tricorders aren't working like, um, and, and the, the narrative way that, uh, the players deal with that is always way more fulfilling than just you know um just blanket taking it away from them you know what i mean yeah
3: we never in in my games we never have any mechanic that doesn't have a narrative function um if if you use a threat or you use momentum or you use termination you have to have a mechanic a, a narrative reason for it you can't have to describe it otherwise you can't use it um the same thing is true of like you know if you can justify using these attributes and or this skill and attribute combination if you can justify it narratively, I'm go, I'm game for it. I don't care what it is. Um, so that, that's kind of been always the way we do it. So I, like when I use threat, a lot of times it's to uh, enhance the negatives for just to give the players one more thing to overcome, right, just one more obstacle, um, one more objective, that kind of thing. And it's always narrative, like there's another guard, there's another lock on that door, there's uh, an inbound ship communications are down, whatever it happens to be. Um, but there's always a narrative reason for my use of threat there's always a narrative reason for their use of momentum um, it's never arbitrary in my games uh, and there always is a consequence for the use of any currency meta, meta or otherwise uh, be it you know what your what skills you're rolling there's a potential failure for using if you're trying to do transporters and you somehow managed to do sensors and command I don't know how that would work but you did you you managed to come up with a narrative reason for that the the consequences is that could come or could arise from that are going to be tied to that narrative, um, uh, that narrative design that you put in there. That you you that you you convince me that's going to work. Here's the complication: and the threat is going to be consistent with that um, that narrative, and I think that's essential for what makes any game great. But I think it's what makes Star Trek kind of unique: is that you can do anything with anything as long as you're being narrative.
0: Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I love using a threat to sh- make sure that they don't underestimate a Klingon or an alien that they're meeting. I will add on and give that alien a 5D hand right at the first strike just to make sure they have a respect for the character. Now, I may not use it everyone, but I want to make sure that they don't keep walking around like they're, you know, the 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 what's the bees honey bees knees whatever it is they need to know that battle and getting into those kind of situations that if they're giving me a lot of threat i'm gonna you know give a 5d roll against them and and make them think twice uh before not choosing diplomacy
2: Yeah. And, and I think that key to that, Michael is knowing who your players are, right? Do they, are they, are they a group that really likes combat and wants to deal with combat? Because there's lots of things that you can do with threat and combat. I mean, you've got the whole uh, momentum spend table that you can use for your own bad guys. You can bring more bad guys in. Um, You know, there's, uh, there's, momentum spends that you don't see very often, like Swift Task or um, secondary target. And when you pull that out using them for the bad guys, it does, you know, uh make the combat a bit more uh interesting uh and challenging. Um it's not personally my play style. I would prefer to do diplomacy first, but sometimes diplomacy breaks down. Um and uh it's all about knowing who your players are and what they enjoy.
3: So one of my favorite quotes of all time is uh, for when it comes to gaming is players want to be beaten. They want to be pummeled. They want to be hurt. They want to be, you know, bruised and battered, but they want to win at the end. I think threat's really good for that. It's a quote by John Wick, the creator of seven uh, C and L5R, Legend of five rings. Um, and it's uh, absolutely true. And I, I like the, I like using threat for those kind of things. And and in combat, there's a lot of reasons for it. I think Swift task is quite my favorite one that <laughs> was pointing out Swift task.
0: So how can we get game masters to build trust with their t- with their group to spin more threat? If that's the kind of thing, what, what are tips you might give?
3: For me, I think the biggest tip that I can give for it is just use it responsibly. Being a game master is, uh, is a lot of power in the story. Like you can really mess up. It's your job to make sure players have fun and you can be the sole reason that they don't. Um, so just being able to read the table and use threat in a way that is keeping players engaged is the best way to, to do it. And it, it's not, it's not, it's, it's more intuitive than it sounds, I think. But um, I think when you're playing the game, you can tell when someone's having fun and when they're not. And uh, using your momentum and your threat in that way is, is probably the best way to build trust. And eventually they'll figure out that you're not going to just drop a dragon on them for no reason or have a board cube appear every time you've got eight or 12 threat, you know? So just use it wisely with great power
2: <laughs> I think I think that um I think that one of the things that you can do as a GM is to really know your uh the players characters Um, focuses, talents, um, and values. And if you start using threat, like maybe this particular episode, you want to give so-and-so a chance to shine, you can use threat to like build towards them using a talent that they haven't used before um, or uh, to challenging a value or, you know, hearkening to a value um, and so on and so forth. Um, And you can do that in a way where they don't feel targeted, right. By, by just um, manipulating the scenes ever so slightly where they get into a predicament where one of these things will become handy. Um, And I think that that is a really good way to show uh, a level of trust uh, to the, to the table saying, I, I did this with my threat uh, so that I could give you an opportunity to use this awesome talent that you've never used before. Um, You know, things like that. Uh, And I think that'll help uh, players understand that you're really, you know, you're there beside them. You're not butting heads with them. You're beside them telling the story, you know?
0: Yeah. Jim trust building. What do you do?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I I don't want to say
1: it harkens to session zero, but like, I, I think as a, as a game master, you just, you have to, understand your role right like like, why are you there you are there to like it's a lot of work right certainly it's a lot of work to prepare the session and then get get everybody together you need to be you know hopefully kind of a leader mentality or an enabler or facilitator that kind of you know maybe even a teacher to some extent because you're probably going to be the one who knows the rules better than everybody else that's just the nature of the beast right that's every game uh, it's usually the game master the dm or whatever who knows the rule book Inside and out, and sometimes the players are like, I can't even be bothered to read my character sheet, <laughs> all right But uh, so they they are looking to you to guide them through this experience that they want to have, and you are not an adversary. You are you are right there with them. You're you are a fellow player at the table. You just happen to be playing the game master role, and uh, just just know that you are there to make an awesome experience with them. And 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 threat is just one of the tools that you can use to to manipulate the story and manipulate the. The circumstances of the game to to tell an even better story with your players right and um that's that's a different approach than a lot of games have like intentionally like, i mean it was baked into the system nathan did that intentionally uh, to make this a much more narrative collaborative kind of storytelling game as opposed to um you know i'm a game master and i'm going to spend six hours figuring out the challenge ratings of these monsters that i want to throw at my players and uh and their, their feats and their abilities and stuff. No you know, no, 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 knock on D&D or, or Pathfinder or whatever, but that's just a very different type of game, right? And it's very easy, I, I, I can see it. Like I, I've done my time preparing challenge encounters and sessions and stuff like that, where it's just, it's so much work to figure out the math. Like what? how am I gonna challenge these players, these characters, right? And sometimes it works and sometimes it's too much and sometimes it's not enough and it's just really hard to find that balance sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Star Trek, you don't have to really do that. You can you, you get the threat, and you can you can you can turn that dial up or down as needed. Like you want to make it a little more challenging, then spend a little more threat and make it a little more challenging. Or if the, the players are just having a terrible night with the uh, with the dice, and they just and like you can and like uh, I think Al was saying, you know, read the room. Like if you can just feel their frustration, like they're not frustrated at you, they're just frustrated that collectively they're having a really hard night. You know, maybe turn the dial down a little bit and make it make it make the whole experience just a little easier for them to enjoy. So that they're coming out of it going, oh, you know, we were all having a really crappy night, but we still had a cool, a cool session. And we're going to come back for the next one. Right. We're not going to just kind of like ah, we don't really want to play anymore. And we're just going to find an excuse to not play. And the game just kind of withers on the vine. Right. We've yeah. all been there, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. And
0: there's no rule and there's no rule saying that by the end of the game, that the game master had to spend all the threat. I mean, I've left games where I have 20 on the table just because narratively we were having such a ball. I didn't need it anymore. It was it was the end of it. So don't think that you have to spend it all. Um, it, it's nice that, you know, the, the players are side eyeing it the whole time and there's that tension and suspense. I love that, but um, not not a required game mechanic.
2: Yeah, one other interesting thing, um, you know, uh, most of the missions uh, that have been written um, for Star Trek Adventures suggest starting with two threat per player character um, in your pool. Uh, that's not a set rule. Like you can, if it, if you're playing uh, the second part of a to be continued episode, and you want to start right away with, you know, um, things are pretty dire, you could do three per um player or if you're at your season finale and you want it to feel like you can start with more threat than that um just so that they feel like this is it like this is the epic conclusion this is uh and 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 then go from there um so just a reminder that 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 there is no rule saying how many you start per player Mm -hmm.
1: good point good point um uh, michael i don't know if you were planning on going here or not but i have a question for everybody Um, imagine if you will, you are a new game master, a new player coming into Star Trek adventures, and you want to, you want to start as rules light as possible, right? So you go into the game thinking, I'm just going to use the core basic mechanics, 2d20 against whatever difficulty the game master sets. And I'm not going to use momentum. I'm not going to use threat. How do you think that would impact the gameplay? Um, if a game master and and their group were to start playing the game, just not using threat or momentum at all, and then maybe building into it later. What what are your thoughts on that?
0: First of all, I have to laugh because before you came on, Jim, we were talking about this. (laughs) Exactly. this thing and so <laughs> I, I, Al had some really good insights about it and also um, uh, Jeff was talking about a game system that's kind of like that so I'm going to let them take it because they actually had some oh, it's funny that we were just talking about this uh, we've so, done two of these episodes <laughs> yeah,
3: for me I think I I think my, I think momentum is a core mechanic I don't know what the threat necessarily is but I think momentum is a core mechanic so I think what I would probably do as a game master is um, I would do away with the multi-cost for for threat or for uh for momentum. It's one to one. You buy one, you get one. Mm, um okay. beyond that, I think I would the 2D20, the roll, I would limit the number of um modifiers that get added on. You're just gonna roll and make this number. My difficulty is two, three, four, five, whatever I set the difficulty to. Just set the difficulty. Um, tell them they gotta roll under it, and momentum is a one-to-one purchase. That would be my uh, my baseline. If you're going to start playing and you don't want to get too deep into it, that's it. You don't need to know anything else other than you roll two two d six and you roll under that number. Um, if my difficulty is three, you might want to spend one momentum. You're going to get a third die, roll it, and you're good. Um, that's probably where I would go. And then I would I would put momentum in as the next mechanic I would add, um, just because that would allow you to start tweaking things outside of like you still don't need your all the modifiers and other things you can do, but you can start now adding in more complications and more difficulties and things like that, and then you can start getting other rules in there masked actually as as threat and momentum um that's that's probably how i would do it
2: yeah and I, I agree like like if you want to do rules light and then start increasing um that you would do uh you know your d20 pool and then bring in momentum and then bring in threat after but i think that if you wanted to go without um, momentum and, and threat entirely. You could just do uh, 2d 20 um, and don't even purchase dice, just have target numbers. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you succeed on both dice, it's a very special success. If you fail on both dice, it's a complication. If you get one success, you're successful. And that, and that right there can be your narrative. Like you don't have to like Uh, Throw all this other stuff on there. Now, with all of this momentum and threat, that's when you start getting more into building, I think, um, the scenes uh, and building that trust with the players as far as um, I'm not just trying to uh, to hurt you here, uh, we're we're going back and forth. You've built some momentum. Uh, you've also done some stuff that could be potentially bad that might come back to bite you. Uh, and so we're going to add these mechanics uh, as we uh, move along. Mm-hmm.
0: I I mean, I, and again, I play with a very advanced group of players who. I only roll the dice just so they remember we're in a game because (laughs) they, they run scene, they'll run a scene with, and I'm just a bystander and they're hurting themselves and arguing and creating conflict and, and things blowing up. They'll talk about things blowing up. So I could see simplifying the system, Jim, if it was just as simple as roll 2 two twenty, success, fail. Okay, tell us about how badly you failed. And I know that they could take it there. To me, that's kind of the, the creme de la creme of game mastering players because we're really storytellers. And again, we just use the dice just to add suspense and push us creatively. Yeah,
2: yeah. Right. And, well, and don't remember I'm, that you, or, okay. or don't forget that you should never roll dice if something is a sure thing. Yeah. Right. Right.
3: <laughs> you should also never leave anything that's like a plot point to a potential failed roll. Like if they need to have that clue, it don't, it's not a die roll. Right.
1: Right. That, that's why I have that's why I have real uh, real heartache with the perception checks in, in various century games. It's like it's like either they notice it or they don't. Don't don't leave it to a dice roll, because then what do you do? Right. <laughs> oh, are they gonna are they gonna see the trap? Okay. Is, I mean, is it is, is there anything hinging on the fact whether they see it or not, or or they, they see the, the bad guy hiding in the corner or something like if, it, if it's narratively gonna happen, just make it happen, right? But I
3: think the, the core <laughs> mechanic of, of Star Trek misses is the, the success range. Although I think that momentum and threat really can help improve give you that range of so you make a perception check and you fail the perception check, you still find the clue, but maybe you didn't see the you know, the the subtle nuance of this thing over here. You know, we gave you the base clue, but not everything
0: um i
3: think to it's, me uh, to
0: me an insight you know like an insight security check and they miss it means that their opposed action is plus one more difficulty because they don't you know they don't flinch fast enough percent but there has to again be a mechanic to like you said if it's there they should just see it don't annoy don't annoy the players that's my thing
1: <laughs> yeah. i guess you could always rely on success at a cost right and just uh let's say okay you found the you found the thing um uh, you, you get no special benefit or anything from it but at least you found it Um, it's it's neat that you guys were talking about that ahead of time. So that's, that's cool. I just wanted to ask the question because I know that there's still a, there's still a, um, a a conversation like anytime a new gamer comes into the game where there's just a conversation going on, people, some people still complain that they don't like all the meta currencies in the game. It's like, well, I mean, you know, you don't have to use them. Right, they're not like like the entire game doesn't hinge on the fact that you're using threat or not using threat, and and we've talked about that at length. But uh, I I don't want new gamers coming into Star Trek Adventures or looking at it thinking that oh, there's all these complicated meta currencies that you have to play. You know, you have determination, you got momentum, you got threat, and oh, I got to figure all this stuff out. You know, I mean, it's not. I think we might not have done a great job of explaining it in the core rule book. And like, I, I can probably acknowledge that because I've heard it for seven years. <laughs> and uh, I think the, the the majority ultimately rules, you know, a majority wins, I guess. Um, but so, uh, you know, there are resources that can help, you know, explain it better. And hopefully we, we've done a, a, a job of that tonight. In your defense,
0: um, the majority of people who are satisfied with it don't speak up. So you can't necessarily assume that well, the complainers yeah. are the majority.
1: <laughs> that's true <that's, that's>, <laughs> for everything, right? Um, but don't be afraid of the mechanics. Don't, don't be afraid of the of the meta currencies. Don't think that they're just not for you or whatever. Like uh, you know, use them to taste and try them out. And if you like them, then keep using them and, and your players too, especially your players. Like get your player buy-in. Because if your players love momentum and threat, but you hate it, then you should probably have a conversation with your players and find out
2: what's the what's the sweet spot for your game. Um Anyway, and one thing that I've started noticing on some of the digital downloads, uh, that have been releasing is some of the writers are putting in, uh, sidebars on suggested momentum spends. Mm-hmm. And I've heard great feedback, um, from the players that that has been, uh, very helpful because, um, sometimes ad-libbing a complication on the fly yeah. is tough. But if you can go and see a table of like four or five things, uh, that could potentially go wrong and just go, Oh, boom, here we go. Uh landslide is happening right now uh yeah. you know um i i, I it, it's been a really uh a good thing and it sounds like the the players have really been enjoying it you it just inspired fun. me
0: as a, that would be a really
3: good thing to do for uh, inside bars and stuff to to start having here's things you could do with threat in
0: your right. scenes well that i know we write those into the modules now we're getting that more in the modules but i'm thinking about do we have imagine if you had a deck of threat cards that you use your threat to purchase and flip just a random encounter to a random a, a random threat that could be a variation for people who maybe struggle with prompts if if there was a series of generated cards that spin a threat throw this you know or spin your two to create a complication that might be a fun thing and i have a feeling that's on continuing mission somewhere so i'll check
3: (laughs) even if there wasn't a deck that was just being flipped randomly just having that to be able to look at and have a gm say this is the kind of thing that threat is designed for that would really help um Mm -hmm. i like i like anything that helps gms learn more about what they should be doing or could be doing mm-hmm. <laughs> it's <laughs> on a <laughs> continuing
0: <laughs> mission nice <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> a, there's a complication cards that were created by tony Pie, and it's like <laughs> a grid of different complications so you could always have it as a resource and then dump your threat over there if you had to <laughs> yeah
1: nice yeah it's always a balancing act right like i i i as the project manager like i really want game masters and players to be creative and and, and like goose their creativity and that's why We've been careful about not giving them like tons and tons and tons of random tables and, uh, and 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 cards and stuff that they have to have at the table beyond just the core book and their character sheets, um, especially because there's so many online players now, right? Like uh, to do it to have to be on Discord, right? And doing mostly like a like a fiction narrative, like what what good a deck of cards going to do necessarily? Because nobody can see you, and like the game master might have them, but I just don't know what the value is of that. I mean, someone some can certainly tell me. Um, so I guess there's a bouncing point. Like I have been trying to encourage writers to like put in more, like, you know, give me, give me thread, give me thread examples, give me thread ideas. Uh, especially what I really want them to do more is um like when they when they say, okay, you know, you need to attempt a task, you know, don't just tell me what happens if the task succeeds. Give me some ideas on what happens if they fail, right? Because the game master is gonna be like, well, okay, so you failed, but so what? And uh, if the game master is still learning the system or may not be, you know, super creative, they might struggle a little bit. And we want to take that struggle away. Like you were saying, Jeff, we want to make it easy for the game masters to play this game and or to run this game. Cause we want them to create more game masters so that more people play the game and, and, uh, and just continue the, the love of the game. And um, so, yeah, I, I agree anything we can do to help. And I think gradually over the years we've gotten better at that in our adventures. It hasn't been consistent. I'll, I'll admit that. Cause like I, my writers, our writers, whatever um, some of them are more comfortable with the system than others. Right. And uh, I can help to a point, but also the 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 machine doesn't stop, right? So after a certain point, it's like, okay, we can't stop but we can't keep fussing with this. We've got to go into production and and get it approved and all that stuff. So there's only so much tweaking that we can do to some of this stuff. yeah, but they're getting better, I think I, in my opinion anyway, I think I think they or not better. Better is a bad term. I think uh, hopefully, and this isn't on me, I don't know that any of you can answer it, but Hopefully the adventures are are more useful now than than some of the earlier ones, just in terms of like the tools that we can add into the into the into the manuscript, such as as
0: as someone who uses many of them. uh, I enjoy right now they're evolving more into this could happen and this could happen. This could happen. I feel like I'm taking the puzzle pieces that I want in order to build the game. really saw that hugely in the Shackleton uh, Expanse book where I was like, oh, it's not really telling me a story. I am giving, I've been given all the components to make the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And boy, that's a whole separate conversation, right? That's a, that's a, cause like some, some players and game masters ate that up and like loved the fact that there was a, that it was a sandbox and they, we just gave them a ton of components and said, go make an awesome campaign. Right. And then there were other game masters and players who were like, I got all these pieces, but I don't know what the picture looks like. And, and maybe they didn't realize that it's up to them to make the picture. We're giving you the pieces; you you make the picture. We're not telling you this isn't like, uh, you know. Again, no knock on this. This is this isn't keep on the borderlands where you know how the story's going to end, right? This is this is this is a little different, right? But uh, anyway, so it's just it's an interesting conversation we could have at some point. Maybe add that to the list of episodes I that th- we. Need
0: I do. think we'll have to do a riff challenge where we take one story <laughs> and we all riff how we would use the components differently. Yeah. Just as an example, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I think a like or six. Or take, take yeah. a mission brief even we could do that. Yeah. yeah. The
3: whole the whole idea of how narrative works and how players and game masters interact with narrative is a compelling conversation that is definitely uh to be had at some point, I think. Yeah. So here's when, a fun
2: conversation that has to do with threat uh that I've seen um over the last couple of weeks. Um, and that was uh with all the onset of digital play and whatnot. Um is uh typing the number into a box on the screen versus throwing 14 threat tokens out onto the virtual tabletop um and and are the players uh receiving that number in a much more fearful fashion or uh is having the 14 tokens out there on the table really raising the stakes and like like if If I'm looking behind Michael right now and I saw all that threat on my GM side of the board, I think that that is a little bit uh, more threatening to me than just seeing the number uh, 20, you know, in a box.
0: Well, well, you tell me you're you're Mr. You're Mr. 41 threat. (laughs) So we played that electronically on discord. So
2: i i just find it well it just somebody had popped up that they were starting to create threat tokens for the virtual tabletops um yeah. so they can drag them out for players to see because they felt like uh as the numbers they were kind of getting lost in the shuffle um i saw a couple of discussions about that on um reddit so. yeah
3: i use tokens uh card tokens in roll 20 for my game so you can see all of the momentum and all the threat that are on the board um And then I just, the only problem with that is I have to manage them. I have to, anytime players use momentum, I have to delete it. Anytime that they they use threat or I use threat or the game threat, I have to move them, but it's not a highly complicated thing, but I, it does the, the seeing that, that line of threat border or sort of making its way around the border of the, of the, the cell. um, (laughs) It's definitely intimidating to some players. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I I think how, man, it's, I I could go. I could go either way, really. Honestly, I I think I lean toward. Like I've always used just a box with a number in it, and I just change the number as we go because it's it's clean and it's easy. I don't have to fuss with it too much. I just I just change the number. Um, I, I feel like sometimes like having the big stack of chips, you know, that feels kind of performative. Right, like like oh, I'm going to spend 14 threat, and I'm going to go throw it on the table, and you know they scatter everywhere, and the players are like oh shit, what's going to happen? And and that just feels like uh, I don't want to say like a dick move, but like you you watch the poker, the professional poker players, and they're like they're throwing them in the ships, like they got the swag and everything, and they got the attitude and whatnot. That you clearly, clearly they have the cards to play, right? And that, I feel like that kind of creates an adversarial relationship between the players and the game masters, where the game master is like, "Oh, look at all this threat I've got! I'm gonna, I'm gonna screw you guys over first chance I get." And then to intentionally like throw those chips at them, you know, you're not throwing it at the table; you're throwing it at the players. You know, I mean, this is just a perspective, right? Um, so I don't know, but like I know for a fact that um, one of my players in one of my games, like, like seeing the the threat pile up was actually kind of triggering, right? Because there, there's like, there's an anxiety level to that, that that it, again, they trusted me as a game master and I trusted them as a player, but there was an anxiety level that I could sense growing just because there was more threat on the table, even though it was just a number, right? Even though it was just a number, it wasn't more tokens or whatever, but it was like, oh, clearly like like just subconsciously, this is creating a, a level of anxiety that wasn't just like excitement and anticipation about the game, it was like real player being anxious about the game. And that's not what I wanted to create at the game table, right? Because you want everybody to be comfortable and have a good time. You might want to tweak them a little bit and like get them, do the jump scare once in a while or something and like get them into the game. But but like I don't want someone to be like actually really like real time scared or, or anxious or triggered at the table because like that's, that's not fun for anybody in my opinion. Uh-
2: One of the things that I did, um, I was working, I was doing a demo at um, my shop of Star Trek Adventures. And uh, one of the things that I did is I I swung by the supermarket and I bought a bag of uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and a bag of Hershey Kisses. And the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups were Momentum. Uh, and whenever they spent the momentum, they got to eat the e peanut butter cup. Whenever I spent my threat, they got my uh, Hershey kisses. So uh, <laughs> towards the end, they were uh, giving a lot of threat just so that they would have more Hershey kisses to have. You, st- uh, you, st- you
0: straight up Pavlov, the man. <laughs> <laughs> it was then, great. It was, they had,
1: we had a blast. Yeah, by, the end, by the end of the game, everybody was in a sugar shock. <laughs> 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 oh, they're all jittery. Like, oh, we had such a great time.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a great <laughs> idea though. Great idea. <laughs> let's go out on a laugh because that yeah. was really, really good. Let's get some final words um, on threat. Why don't uh we start uh Jeff Al, myself, and then we'll let Jim close it out and do our gratitude. Sure. Um don't be afraid of threat. It's not
3: uh as a as a game master, it's not uh, it's not as complicated as it seems. It's a good currency to use. Um you can do a lot with it, and it's not. There to tie your hands, there to help make sure that you can enhance your story in creative new ways that maybe you hadn't thought of when you first wrote the outlines of what you were going to do, or the the individual beats of the story that you wanted to do. Um, it's a good mechanic, uh, and if your players are struggling, as Jim said, if your players are struggling with it um, from a from a legitimate standpoint, then have that discussion about what you guys want to do with it. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a definitely a, a mechanic worth considering using.
2: Yeah. Um, so uh, the bold talents are a great example of a way to feed your uh, GM threat. It's being bold. You are ready to try a uh, you know uh, a more challenging situation uh, and face it bravely. Um, so uh, from a player perspective, um, I, I I think uh, the rewards that you're going to have when you use that talent that you've never used before, or you find a way to use your focuses um, to deal with whatever the threat is that's dealt at you, um, I think is going to weigh out, outweigh, um, not giving your GM threat at all. Um, you know, your character development is really what's important here. Uh, and it it would be boring if you just did the same old thing over and over again. So challenge yourself and give the GM some threat to, uh, to, to push you to your limits.
0: Yeah, I think many people are playing this game. It's not adversarial between game masters and players like other RPGs. It's a collaborative game. And so to me, I see threat and momentum, uh, just the meta currency for creativity saying I have enough currency to make the story go in this direction. And so really talk to your players that that's how you view it, um, that it's purely a tool, a narrative tool um, to, to show how how much tension, how much suspense and how much uh, uh, excitement is, is waiting down the story corridor. So get to that point um, with the use of threat.
1: Yep, I'll just echo everybody here. You know, don't don't be afraid of the mechanics. Uh, ease into them if you feel like you need to. You know, you, you ease it, ease the players into it. You start using it gradually. Um, lean on the resources that are available to you. There are some. Uh, Nathan wrote a couple of really good blog posts on the Modifius website about threat and momentum and a bunch of other stuff that I'm not sure many people even realize are out there. But uh, Modifius, you go to the Modifius dot net website. Check out Star Trek Adventures. There's a whole long series of blog posts about all kinds of stuff: the products, the mechanics, et cetera. Uh, so check those out. Uh, check out the uh, game master guide and the player guide because we provided some good insight into those. Uh, but don't feel like you have to buy anything, like uh, the uh, the quick starts, the the start, the Starfleet quick start, and especially the Klingon quick start, because I know the Klingon one a little bit better because I, I wrote a chunk of it. Um, the there are the the momentum and thread tables are right there in the in the quick starts. They're free. Go go download them and and use those. You know, cut and paste the uh, the uh, the threat um, tables out of there and have them by your side at the game table, whether it's virtual or real. Uh, I mean, if you wanna buy something, you shouldn't we can go right ahead. I'm not gonna show for you, but the, the Klingon Toolkit, the Klingon Game Master screen is really, really good for uh, threat and momentum uh, spends. Uh, so is the the Starfleet one. And uh, And just if you need that little bit of a crutch for creativity, just to get you kick-started, you know, use those, have them on hand and so that you know what to what to spend and that your near, your players know what to spend so uh, um ultimately though remember like michael said this is a collaborative game so have fun with your players create even better um or you know just more amazing moments and scenes by using these uh, these mechanics
0: Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you, Jim. And let's start our gratitude moment as we go out and continue this conversation. I have a Jay Fernbog is shouting out adventure games in one of my favorite cities in the world because of the name Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and also Captain Nemo Games in San Luis Obispo, California, where I'm going to be this weekend, which is awesome. So, oh, Captain Nemo Games. I'm going to have to stop by there. Okay, perfect. All right, good. So uh, always thanking the brick and mortars who, of course, stock these games or comic books and, uh, you know, remember that these games are great electronically. But if you're like me, having a physical copy of a book to thumb through is like nothing else. So we want to thank and support our local brick and mortars. Let's go out with uh, Jeff Jim.
3: All right. My gratitude for today is going to be the 3D print community. There's a lot of 3D prints that you can get for Star Trek Adventures and other games. And I'm really grateful to Modifius for actually putting out the 3D print files for a lot of the, um, uh, the miniatures and stuff. I think it's great. Uh, my 3D printer is right here. <laughs> And it uh, was printing the other day. It was printing some of the Klingons. So uh, it does a good job. And I, I want to say, uh, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, the at the community that does things like this threat tokens that are behind uh, Michael right now, um, check out the people on Etsy, support local creators. Um, they do A lot of them do a lot of really good work for not just this game, but other games. And I think uh, the more we support those creators, the more we get premium... Uh, Gizwas to make our game slightly better. Mm. Uh,
2: my thanks goes out to uh, everyone who's currently working on uh 2d20 system world builders uh, content. Uh, I think we're up to like six or eight um, that have been posted up on uh drive through RPG. Um, and I'm not even going to say names because I'll probably forget who's posted and who hasn't yet. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's really looking pretty cool. Um, and I'm in a couple of forums with a lot of the other world builders, and some of the ideas that are coming out of there are uh, pretty fantastic. So um, thank you all of you who are creating content uh, for the 2d20 system.
1: That's super cool. I love it. I, I love I love how creativity just increases when you get people together and start, you know, getting their getting the brains working. Uh, so non sequitur, um I love the fact that we have these STLs available now. Um, so I saw some fan uh, bought the board miniatures and uh, and and created you know printed one at like 65 mil. Right? So it wasn't like the thirty thirty two mils that they' that they were originally built in, but it was like, this is just a gigantic thing. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. because it'd be like a little statuette on your shelf or your table or something. It's like, oh, I want to paint that. Like I'm not much of a minis painter anymore. but like seeing that thing at like sixty five millimeter. It's like, oh, boy, you can really get into the nooks and crannies of the details of that. So I just and I never even imagined that that was possible, right? Like like I knew we wanted to sell the um the stLs at the at the size that they were, you know scaled, you know intended for. But like the 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 fact that people can use their printers and scale them way way up or way way down. Like I think someone was even talking about doing like a like a 10 mil or something like army, mini, mini army builder or something of Borg, just like marching and like, oh man, like like a little 10 mil, like the old classic uh, army soldiers or whatever. Uh, so I just I love that this is creating more creativity too anyway. Nothing to do with threat. Uh, but anyway, I want to thank Nathan, Nathan Dowdell for creating this system. Uh, for putting all the hard work into creating a Star Trek system that really feels like Star Trek, with all these great meta currencies that help enable the players and the game master to to shift the narrative and to play with the narrative and to 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 really do things that you wouldn't expect in a game, to where like the players and the game master are are empowered and enabled to become not just directors but writers. Like like every every role in a TV series, right, is all in your hands now with, by using these mechanics. So that you can manipulate the story you can make things challenging more challenging less challenging whatever uh so thank you to nathan i, I probably don't thank him often enough for what a cool game he's created but uh really grateful for nathan and uh, everything that he's done for the for for not, not so much modific, okay. but for 2d20 especially um over the years awesome fantastic well now you got my brain
0: going because now i'm dreaming of a time with now you're talking about the 3d miniatures i guess you could 3D miniature components and rooms of a starship until you have enough to piece together into an actual starship. So you can actually put the miniatures like on the bridge at some point. He did a Deep Space Nine, Jeff. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, he's holding up a Deep Space Nine. So imagine if we get to a place where you can actually build the entire Starship in a garage and take it part component by component with the pieces playing in it. Okay, that's a continuing conversation for
1: next time. <laughs> okay, everyone, I D I C. Uh, be safe, be, live long and prosper, be safe, be well. We'll see you next time.
3: So long, thanks for all the fish. <laughs> <laughs>